Mac Power Users, Episode 122, iTunes. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Are we here? Third time's the charm, David. Yeah, I'm here. Let's do this. Thing. All right. We've had a few little Skype issues already, so we've got a delayed start podcasting, but we are roaring to go and ready to talk about iTunes. And this is a subject that we've talked about a couple of times on Mac Power Users, but we've got a brand new iTunes 11. There's been a lot of changes. We've had a lot of questions. So it seems like a, a good time to go back and, and do a comprehensive overview and review of, of iTunes, the Mac Power Users way. It feels to me like iTunes is Apple's user interface playground. It seems like when they want to try something new and different, it always seems like iTunes is one of the first places they will do things. Like, I believe iTunes was the first place where we got all the gray icons, mm-hmm. you know, when they were trying to switch to this monochromatic theme. Now we've got a new version of iTunes that's got colored icons again. Um, it, it Just over the years, it's, it has evolved quite a bit. In fact, there's a great article that uh, Jackie Chang did over at um, Ars Technica, where it's called iTunes Through the Ages. I'm going to put it in the show notes, where she shows the the iterations of the user interface of iTunes from version 1.0 to 11. And it's really quite extraordinary if you go through it, how this program has evolved over the years. And now we're out with iTunes 11, and it is really different. And uh, so a lot of the stuff we talked about in prior shows about iTunes, which are a year or two old now, are really no longer relevant. So we thought we needed to go back and hit this one again. So let's do it. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the evolution of iTunes. You, you mentioned it, but um, iTunes isn't, and it kind of feels like this to me, iTunes was not a baked-from-scratch created Apple product. I mean, iTunes was something uh, that they bought from a third party, and maybe that's one of the reasons why iTunes 1 looks so different than than iTunes, you know, through the years, is that, you know, I, iTunes 1 really wasn't an Apple product. Well, it was originally put on the Mac as a device to manage digital music. It wasn't, I mean, the iPod didn't exist when iTunes first came around. Right. We had these plastic and, discs. Yeah. And, you know, the idea was you'd, you know, you'd rip them and you'd put them on your computer. And at that point there, you know, Apple was not the first person to the digital music player business. In fact, they were kind of late to that. And there were devices out there. I remember I used to have one Gosh, I don't know where who it was from. Was it I, one I, of those Creative was, Zen things, or I, it may have been, it may have been, but it it was you know it was really heavy and you know it had all the problems that they had before the iPod showed up. But you know you could work with iTunes. You could get your music in there and you could share it over, and everything generally kind of worked. God, it was so long ago now; it's kind of hard to remember. I, I would still classify you, iTunes as kind of working, but you know that, that's yeah. another topic. Well, we're going to get there, but but in, look, in a nutshell, in the old days, it started out to manage music on your Mac, and then uh, Apple's string of success has led it to become the conduit to a series of mobile devices, starting with the iPod, and then the phone, and then the iPad, and and it's really grown to you know do a lot of things. Like when it started, it just managed music. Now it's managing movies, books, music, and Apps, all sorts of media. And, and all yeah. these other things. And, and people have even questioned... Is is there going to be an evolution of iTunes where it's not iTunes anymore, or maybe iTunes breaks out and becomes a number of different products, but yet they still just keep adding on to it? 
Well, if you look at the iOS devices, that's the case. I mean, you have an iBook store or an iBooks app, and then you have a music app, and you have a video app, and they they have really broken this into the component pieces. But on the Mac and the PC, it still manages to to kind of get along. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we had this massive redesign is is a fair criticism of it was it was just becoming too much. Every update over the last few years and until this most recent one felt to me like a what I would call a bolt-on update. It's like, okay, you know how iTunes works. Uh, everything's generally the same, but we have now bolted on books. Or you know how it works, but we have now bolted on Genius Match. Or you know every new update, or we've bolted on Ping. Every new update was kind of the same thing, but it, it added something more. It's the exact same criticism that we have leveled against some of the Microsoft products over the years, yep. that they just keep growing this thing without ever, you know, taking a machete to it. And uh, to, to be honest, this new version of iTunes 11 doesn't take the machete out either, but it does a better job of containing the various pieces um, or isolating them better so you don't see it all at once. And uh, this is a very controversial release because I know, and I think the way the lines are generally coming down is that people who have really big libraries and are power users are not happy with this new version, and people who are less intense about the way they use it probably like it better. So I guess to each his own, but it is most certainly different, so it's time for the Mac power users to talk about iTunes 11. Yeah. All right, so the first thing, I mean, the main feature of iTunes 11 is its new look. It's got a few new features, but it... It's mainly a facelift to iTunes. They didn't really bolt anything on, and they've, they've just really given iTunes a facelift. And they've got a strong emphasis now on album artwork. And so you you look at an album, and it doesn't matter whether you've got a single from this album or whether you've got the entire double disc set and you've got 26 to 30 tracks in this album. Every album is kind of created equal. And that by the default view in iTunes, which which you can switch, but the default view is that you're going to sit there and look at pictures of all of your your albums and all of your album cover art. And if you don't have it, iTunes will offer to go out and get that for you. I actually saw hysterical album cover art mismatch, something I was listening to yesterday that I just noticed. But um, yeah, so it's kind of hit or miss, but that's what you're going to see. And it, you've just got all of these albums in a grid. Maybe you like that, maybe you don't. Um, I I quickly switched mine back to the more list view. What do you think? Well, um, I think iTunes has always been quirky, and now it's quirky in entirely new ways. So that's that's not good for a user because now you know even though some of it didn't make sense before, at least I knew where the parts that didn't make sense were, so I could go find them. And now I have to kind of rediscover everything. I mean, it, when you look at the basic view now, it is, is a list of albums. And as, as Katie had mentioned, uh, it doesn't matter how many tracks you own from that album. And there's no way to know when you look at the album on cover whether you have one or 30 tracks. And that's something I'm not really all that excited about because I don't really think in terms of albums as much as I do songs. But um, as we're going to talk about later in the show, I'm very aggressive about playlists and smart playlists. So I don't spend a lot of time in that as well. Um, you do have some ability to change the view options. So if you go up to the view menu and then type in view options, you can change the sort by list. Um, the, you can also, when you're in a view, you can go up and get the uh, column browser. Now, and, it, and once again, this is dependent on, it's all, 
I guess it's not modal, but it depends on on what section of the library you're in. So uh, there are pieces that you're going to expect to be there that aren't there all the time. Um, now, do you have the sidebar enabled? I do. I quickly enabled the sidebar. Did you leave it missing or did you add it back in? Oh. I, I am still trying to get used to the new version. I mean, one of the things I've learned over the years is when Apple makes some kind of sea change. Uh, as a user, you're better off kind of trying to figure it out because it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna behoove you to try and do something the old way because they've already moved a different direction. And so, but if you go up to the view, you can say uh, "show sidebar," and the sidebar is very traditional what you you expect to see in a sidebar. You'll see tabs or little buttons for your music, your movies, your um, your connected devices, and your playlists. So you can bring that back, and it feels a lot more comfortable if you're used to using those. However, it does take away some functionality, and this is something that I think is kind of clever. So if you've got the sidebar showing and you want to drag an album into a playlist, you, you can just take that album or song or whatever, and you can drag it over to the sidebar, and then you just have to land it on the relevant playlist, and it'll put it there. Um, however, if you have the sidebar hidden, which is the default, when you grab an album, a, on the right side of the screen, a little pop-out will appear, and it will show your devices, and it, it will show your playlists, and allow you to drag into them there as well. So, And then once you let go, it disappears. Have you played with that? I have, and it seems like iTunes 11 is really designed for smaller screens. So they've got a lot of pop-outs. They've got a lot of contextual menus and things like that where you can do things without necessarily having to open that sidebar, having to open um, extra windows because you really can't. That's that's one of the things that people are complaining about about iTunes 11 is you can no longer have windows open side-by-side. Side. You can't open playlists and drag things into them. So you've got to do this via this pop-out or via the contextual menu or however you want to do it. You know, I just accidentally, I was trying to explain it. I was doing it on my screen. I just put um, salt peanuts, you know, uh, Dizzy Gillespie salt peanuts in my daughter's um, um, playlist. Bad. So this is going to be fun. Bad. Yeah, but it, it's, I, I kind of like the way it disappears and, and reappears. I mean, there's some of this that I do like. So uh, I'm not necessarily ready to just give up on it yet. Um, it shows the devices up top, and it's it will open the device if you if you hold over it. So it gives you the ability to to put in there. Um, there's some stuff about this that's kind of cool. Uh, the other thing I like about this general view is that uh, on the left side, top of the screen, you've got um, a little button that allows you to click between music, movies, books, TV shows, apps, ringtones, whatever. And once you pick one of those, that's why I was trying to struggle with the word mobile earlier. Once you pick one of those, the screen switches to that. And then you've got various contexts you can sort by and, and find them. And it, it feels cleaner in terms of not seeing all your various kinds of media at once on the screen. Another thing I like about this new one is that, that, what is it? They they had a name for it. That little bar on the right on on the previous versions of iTunes, it was called I think the iTunes sidebar. Uh, well, the Genius Bar it was called at one time. That's not what you're talking I, about. I don't know what the official name is, but it was on the right side of the screen and it had things like ping on it and it says, "Oh, if you like this, you may want well like that." And I always felt like it was very intrusive and just used up pixels that I didn't need. So there are some things to like about this. But it, it is definitely very different. Uh, and it, part of it's just going to 
take some getting used to. I very quickly turned back on the sidebar because I found I just wasn't as productive and I wasn't getting as much done. But sometimes I turn off the sidebar. I almost always have the sidebar on when I'm connected to my 24-inch display on my on my desktop. But maybe I'll turn it off when I'm just on my 13-inch air and you know have have a little bit smaller screen. But I, I do like a lot of the a lot of the features. You know, some things that are that are missing. The the cover flow view is gone. The album list view is gone. Um, you know, some people are saying that that fixed icon size can be problematic for, for big, big screens. And, you know, because it's kind of one size fits all. So you just got to well, play well, let's just with slow it. down there for a minute though on, on that. So cover flow was never something I was that interested in. I, I just never really used it. Did you ever use that? No, I never used it, but it's still in the finder. I, I wonder if that means it will not be in the finder with the next version yeah. of the OS. I remember there used to be a third-party app or something that had the cover flow, and I think Apple bought them or or just absorbed their technology, like the Borg. I don't remember what happened, but and I don't remember. I believe it showed up first on iTunes, and then it showed up in Finder. Yeah, it took but, a couple of years for it to show up in Finder. But the um, but it never really made much sense to me, and I don't really know anybody that particularly used it. So that that I don't miss. However, the album list view to me that was really useful and it's gone now. So I, I don't know, you know, that's a problem. Now when you click on an album, however, it is does an interesting animation. It, it pops a little space on the screen. And then it it samples a color from the album and then it, it it's very clever the way it comes out. It makes like a little pop out that matches the album cover and it's got the songs there. And the tracks uh, will show up in a text color that contrasts nicely with the album cover. I mean, it's it's kind of slick. And that's something we've never had before. In fact, I'd like to see some kind of feature like this added to Keynote. I think this would be really nice if I had a picture on the screen and I could have the slide adjust itself to the picture um, quality. Does that make sense? It, it does. I guess I'm I'm not picturing an instance when you would use it in Keynote, but I'm I'm sure there are instances where you can. But it's very intelligent about the way it does it. Well, I think it. Well, I could picture a lot. Katie. Okay. I can. I'm very creative. All right. <laughs> All right. Listen. The uh, so that that's cool though. I, I think it's neat, but it's not as as useful in some ways as the album list view because the album list view, you would see the number of tracks under an album by the number of lines. You know, like if you got down to, uh, was it the Beatles White Album? There's a lot of tracks under that, where another one I only have a couple tracks on. And it allowed me to go through quickly and find things. Okay. So it, the purpose of this is, are they really trying to move us more towards a different way of of finding our music? What if you're just not a visual person? Are we supposed to search for everything now in our music? It sure feels that way to me. I mean, I put in the outlining caps search. It seems to me like this is all built around search. If you've got a library of any size, that's the way you're going to find stuff from now on. Um, maybe if you've got 50 albums, you're going to want to scroll through this album list and click on it. But I've got about 16,000 tracks in my iTunes library. You know, we've got my family, me and my kids, we all have different music tastes, and we've all been collecting discs for years. So we've got this... I would say pretty large size library. And if I just scroll through my albums, it's crazy because there's so many different kinds of music and some of them I like and some of them my kids like, or my wife likes. It's, it's not a, a very efficient way to find something, but uh, the search bar is. And 
the the new search bar is also again something where they've innovated a bit. Um, when you type in a search term, it gives you a larger target. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put in uh, Miles Davis here. And so I've got a list by artist where, you know, because I've got him categorized just as Miles, or I've got the Miles Davis Quartet, I've got the Miles Davis Quintet. So I've got a couple different artists here with his name in it. And then I've got albums, and I own 12 Miles albums. And um, if I click on it, the uh, the album cover, it will break that list out into just the albums, or I can look at the songs. I have 84 Miles songs. That's pretty cool. So anyway... Um, you know, the search is, is pretty cool. So then once I find, I just said that twice, didn't I? Anyway, so it. once I find one, okay, so I'll say Birth of Cool, and I, I can just drag that. Or actually, I can hit the, there's a disclosure arrow on the side where I can put it in the Genius, add the suggestions, uh, put it in the Up Next, which we're going to talk in a little bit, or I can hit the plus sign and I can get it going. So, you know, it's it makes it pretty accessible to get to these things. If I just tap on it, then I can get the full album available, or I can just take songs then select them, and then once I drag it, I, I get to pop out again that we were just talking about. So it really isn't that hard to start navigating this. But uh, one of the concerns I have about the search is for larger libraries, apparently it's not working up to snuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff online. I was reading the Apple forums and also some of the articles, I believe, um, Kirk McElhern at uh, Macworld had wrote that it was not efficient for his library. In fact, at some point he had, I think he tweeted or wrote that he, he put a screencast up where it took him like 30 seconds to do a search, which is not acceptable. Well, he's got a huge library though. Yeah, Kirk's a big classical music fan, so I know he has a very large library, a lot of tracks. But so I guess the question is, it's good, but once again, it's one of these things where if as you get a larger library, it becomes more of an issue. Yeah. Well, I haven't run into that, and uh, granted, my library is not nearly as big as as even yours, and certainly not as big as Kirk's. But so, you know, I don't know. But in addition to the new look, there are some new features of iTunes. Some of them, some of them I like. Some of them I don't. You want to talk about some of the the new additions? Yeah, but let's let's talk about a sponsor first. Okay. So let's talk about our first sponsor, Drobo. Now, Drobo is the ultimate storage solution. They make some great products for both home and business that allow you to easily have high capacity backups to your computer systems. They've got devices that range from the uh, Drobo Mini that takes laptop-sized drives and works over Thunderbolt or USB 3.0 to things as large as the, uh, the larger-sized Drobos that you can put up to 12 drives in them. And the great thing about this is you don't have to hire an IT expert or buy all these matched drives or deal with all the problems that normally come with having one of these large storage devices. Uh, Drobo is very adaptable. You can just start stuffing it with drives. You can use old ones that you've got around the house or office, or you can just start slowly adding to it. Uh, as the drive prices go down, then you can start upgrading them as well. Like I know now we've got two terabyte drives that are much more affordable than they were a year ago. So some of my Drobo drives, I'm going to start replacing with that as I need the additional space. It's not one of these situations where I have to go and refill everything at the same time. The other great thing is the way Drobo works is it's very simple to use as a user. You'll see green lights, status lights across the front of the device. If there's a problem, one of them turns red. Then you open it up, you pop that drive out, you replace 
replace it and you don't lose any data. With some of the Drobo setups, you can have more than one drive go bad and you won't lose any data. I really love my Drobo because it gives me a way of knowing I've got secure storage at my home with at least two copies of all my data. And I just couldn't recommend it more. I've been using it for some time now. I'm sitting here looking at it as we record the show. Not only do I back up my data to it, I back up my family data to it as well. When uh, family members come over, you know, because we're all Mac users in the Sparks clan by this point, uh, often I will plug into it and make a backup copy of their iPhoto library or their movie library. So we've got, you know, basically a, a poor man's offsite for them. Uh, but I just love using my Drobo, and I really appreciate them as a sponsor. You should go check them out at, at drobo.com. And if you do decide to get one, let them know you heard about them from us. Sounds good. And thanks, Drobo, to their continued sponsorship of Mac Power users. So I want to talk about this Up Next feature because it was one of the highlighted features we we saw them talk about when they were introducing iTunes 11. And it's one of my favorite features of iTunes 11 because th- what they've taken is they've taken the iTunes status window and when you hit the little button to shrink it down, it really shrinks down into a tiny compact window um, in the mini player. But you get this little pop-up in the mini player, and we'll talk about the mini player a little bit more, that tells you what's coming up next. Now, they removed one of my favorite features of iTunes, which is the iTunes DJ, and replaced it with this Up Next feature. And Up Next only plays what you tell it to play. And you can click on a track with the contextual menu item or whatever, and you can either say, play this track next, or add it to Up Next. So if you're listening to music and you say, you know, I'm kind of in the mood for Coldplay, whatever, you type it in, you search, and you can either say, either play this next, or just add it to my up next queue and it will kind of add it to that list. So um, that's kind of a neat feature is that you can either, it will either go to the end of the queue and you, you kind of go in and it will, it will play it when you get to the end of, of what it's currently playing. Or you can say, no, I, I really want to hear this. Go ahead and play it now. And what's neat about what's up next is that it's featured everywhere. You click on a song everywhere and it can add it to up next. Yeah, it's it's interesting how this is again something that's changed, and this is why I call uh, iTunes kind of Apple's playground. That button, and it, it's you know I always think of it kind of as the minimize button. It it really has done many different things for iTunes over the years, and, uh, and now it's back to just being a minimize button. But instead, what they did was they went over on the right side of the screen and they put this new, I, I guess what what did you call it? You've got, is there a name for that button? It's yeah, basically up next comes up. It looks like a little uh, window within a window. It, it's, it's in essence a minimize um, look. And then when you get it, you do get this up next dialogue. And it allows you to know what is coming, uh, what you're going to hear next. And that wasn't always obvious with the older version of iTunes. Because you could be working in one section of your library and the cue of what was playing would be something entirely different. And there were ways to get to that, but it was never really that easy. So uh, I thought this was kind of a neat thing. And there's a lot of ways you can get music in there. Another one was there was a keyboard shortcut for that. I put it in the show notes. And let me see if I can find it. I think is it Control-Enter? Let me see here. Mm, um, that sounds right. Yeah. So so there's a lot of ways you can get it. But Oh, like is it uh, Option Apple. Return you can add to Up Next? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, option return. So you do that, and it, it puts a song right into your library. Or I'm sorry, right into your up next queue. Um, there's not a whole lot of management tools for this, um, but I guess you don't really need them. You can, I believe, drag and move tunes around and change the order if you're sitting there and you want to change what you're going to hear next. Um, this is definitely one of those features aimed at people playing music over iTunes on their computer. And I think that's a whole other discussion is how many people actually do that anymore. I I find that when I'm sitting at my computer, usually it's a laptop. And, and if I want music, usually I just use my iPhone. How often do you play music through your computer? I will say that it is not the primary method that I use for playing music. But if I'm sitting at my computer on the weekends doing work, I'll play it through there because I, you know, I have some pretty decent speakers at my desk. And then I have some AirPlay speakers in in my office that I can stream to or an Apple TV that has speakers connected to that I can stream to. So I will, if, if I'm listening to music, especially maybe not so much podcasts because they are all kind of kept in sync on my iPhone, but if I'm listening to music, I'll, I'll play it at my desk. Yeah. Well, it's definitely helpful for those people. I think if you're sitting at a desk and working at a computer all day, some of these features are going to be really nice. Yeah. Uh, the other one that's kind of right there with up next is the new mini player. Those are the two main new features of, of iTunes 11 and the mini player integrates with up next, but in, instead of just having that pause, play fast forward, rewind button that used to be the mini player, um, you now get a lot more information in the mini player. So when you hit the little button to minimize um, iTunes and get the mini player. Uh, you can get all kinds of information now. You've, you've now got a search feature. You've now got your AirPlay options. Um, you can see what's coming in up next. You can really have great control over iTunes all from that mini player. Yeah, and once again, that's something I rarely use because if I'm going to use iTunes, I usually just give it a full screen. Well, it, you know, it depends on what you're doing and, and how much screen real yeah. estate you have to spare. Yeah. But it, it is about search now, I'll tell you that. Um, so there are a couple of things missing in iTunes 11, some features that they've taken away. And for example, I, I talked about with Up up Next, the iTunes DJ is gone. Now, uh, <laughs> you can argue whether Up Next is better or iTunes DJ was better. I like some of the features of iTunes DJ better. Up Next certainly has more features to it. So I don't know if maybe they can merge some of the iTunes DJ features back into Up Next, you know, in, in future releases. We talked about cover flow being gone. And I already mentioned that the iTunes is now confined to only one window. Some people really have big problems with that. Have you run into any limitations? Yeah, I am trying to adjust to that. Like, for instance, I like to uh, occasionally watch a screencast from our friend Don McAllister or a movie. And it was always nice opening that in a separate window. And you could go back and work in iTunes if you wanted to have it open in a little screen, but it's one window now. Hey, it just feels like a lot of the stuff is more iOS-centered than it is Mac-centered. This may be a, kind of a specialized thing, but I've noticed some enhanced podcast features are gone in iTunes 11. I don't know if... It was very rare that I would sit down and listen to an enhanced oh, – it's very rare that I would sit down and listen to podcasts at my Mac. I'd usually almost always do that through my iPhone. But I did notice when I was doing some work at my Mac over a long period of time, I was listening to some – I was listening to the Mac GitGab podcast actually. And they do – they always do an enhanced podcast and they're really good about putting you know links and things in the show notes. And there was something that I, I wanted to check out. And the enhanced podcast – 
usually we'll give you a little artwork will change and you'll get a link when, when they stick a link in there. And um, the links were gone. And I haven't been able to figure out how to get them back. Yeah, you know, I have completely abandoned iTunes for, for podcasts. And we've talked about this on some prior shows. I mean, there's a variety of good iOS apps that allow you to download and manage podcasts, and that's the only way I do it anymore. So my my podcast elements of iTunes are are long abandoned. I don't I haven't even tried it with this new version. Now another thing we get with iTunes eleven is all of this cloud integration. And some of that bothers me and some of it's very welcome. Yeah, it seems to me like it's necessary. I mean, the future of all this stuff is cloud-based. I mean, we've got iTunes in the cloud, which we'll talk about later, or iTunes Match. And eventually we're going to get our media up there like movies and television. And iTunes has got to be ready for that. And this is the first version of iTunes that has felt to me like the the iCloud and the cloud-based storage is an integrated feature and not something bolted on. And for instance, when you're in album view, you can see which albums are, are a part of a cloud-based uh, storage versus which ones are there because the ones that are in the cloud have a little kind of like cutout triangle on the upper right corner that's gray and it's got a cloud icon on it. Once you download it to your Mac, that disappears. Um, I, think this is, I think this is important. Yes, I, I agree. I, I wish there was a little more customization options available because I'll tell you, I feel like my iTunes library got a lot junkier all of a sudden, if that makes sense. Uh, In what way? Well, specifically with TV shows. When I okay. when I buy a TV show, and even some music, you know, music that I bought as part of like a you know iTunes song of the week or a promotion or whatever that I was like, yeah, I don't know why I bought this. I don't want it. But specifically TV shows, I've probably bought – bought several dozen TV shows um, over the course of the last couple of years just because it was kind of a one-off purchase. You know, the TiVo missed this or I'm filling in a season or it was free and it was a show that I wanted to try and I downloaded the pilot and never thought about it again. And then all of a sudden when I installed iTunes 11, dozens and dozens of TV shows are now shown up in my TV shows and I have no interest in, in this stuff. I mean, to me, it, unless it's a, a special event – TV shows are kind of those that, you know, you, you watch them and trash them. Yeah. So you watch it one time. So that's an interesting question. Can you disable that? I've not bought any television episodes. I bought some movies. I don't want to trash those because I actually will watch them again, but no, you can't, you can uh, remove them. You you can remove them and tell them not to show up. Um, what I, so I, I was able to get rid of all of those. You know, one thing I don't, and I still haven't really understood this is like for on some of these views, like if you've got the, the movie or the television show open across the top of the menu, you can see various sort mechanisms, whether it's been watched, uh, the genre, uh, home movies, home videos, which I thought was a great idea, you know, having a separate tab for home videos, uh, cause we've got a bunch of them or they've got the list view. And so you kind of get back to that old fashioned list view, which I like for sorting, organizing, and, and frankly going in and clearing out movies that I've got in there that I'm never going to watch. I mean, my kids are getting older, so now I'm able to go back and delete some of the Barbie movies and the stuff we've ripped over the years. But the, um, when you go to the music tab, um, I don't, I don't find that it's as easy to get to that type of a list you know, everything is, is still on these strange organizations. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, as I was getting to with the with the cloud thing, there's actually a preference in this in the preference pane where where you can go in and you can tell it, um, yes, show me my my stuff in the cloud. No, don't show it to me. But you can also go in individually. If I didn't make that point clear, you can go in individually and take a show that is showing in the cloud and delete it. Um, the yeah. problem is is that um, once it's deleted, it's hidden from your iTunes and the cloud purchases. I didn't see like a nuclear reset to say, oh, you know, I really didn't mean to delete all those 40-something TV shows, how to get them back. Yeah, and another piece of the interface that is confusing to me is they have a little cloud icon button, and it's in the upper left corner of the screen next to the selection box where you can change between types of media. And that will appear or disappear depending on what you're looking at. For instance, if if I've got books open, uh, because I guess all my books are downloaded, uh, I don't have any stored in the cloud right. that the cloud icon disappears. Well, I don't think you. I don't right. think you can store. Well, I guess you can. You can store iBooks in the cloud. Well, I've I've bought plenty of books from the iBook store over the years, and um, but I guess on my Mac they're all down. If they're going to show up here, they're downloaded. You know, at where like with Amazon, it's a little different. You, you can choose to download or not download a book. Um, uh, where you go to music, then the icon appears back. But like, I want to click on that cloud, and I want something to happen. Nothing happens. I'm not. I'm not even sure what is supposed to happen. It, all it does is it means is part of your library, part of part of this subset of your library is in the cloud. Yeah, and once again, I'm not really sure what that serves. Maybe I'm being too critical, but it's uh, it just seems a little wonky. I mean, there's a lot of nice white space in the new interface, and there's a, it doesn't look as crowded. I, I really did feel that iTunes was getting unbearable, where you know people would open it up who are not into this stuff, and they would just shake their head because there were so many things going on. They didn't know where to start. Now, at least uh, once you figure out that button in the upper left corner and you can switch between different types of media, it's a lot easier for you as a user to say, okay, now I'm in music so I can work here. Right. You've also got some cloud sync capability that is, that is now going back and forth between devices. Um, so if you start playing a song, and we started to see this with iTunes Match, if you start playing, it will keep track of your play counts. But for longer items, it will keep track of you know where you start and stop so you can start something on one device and pick it up on another. But that's only for certain media types. It's not for everything. Yeah, and you well, know, of and, course, and the I big one I'm I'm harping on is is podcasts. I know you're over podcasts. You don't manage them in iTunes. I still do. Yeah, I'd be really curious to know what the breakdown is. That I would suspect that most people are still doing them in iTunes, but the uh, the nerds are all moving out of iTunes. Did you just call me not a nerd? Well, I mean, you're you're uh, behind the curve on this piece. How's that? I mean, mm-hmm. look, you, you cut the cable, so you're definitely a nerd. Mm-hmm. But you see him trying to back I, out of this now, don't you? No, I, I just I do think you're I think you're slow, and I know you know we've talked about in the show before about your workout and how you want to have all this stuff on the little iPod. What is it, Nano or Shuffle. something you're carrying around? Yeah, so I get why you're doing it that way. But uh, if you didn't have that, would you be managing them in iTunes? No. But but, yeah, I mean, but there so are still yeah. a huge number. Anybody who has a non iOS based iPod and wants to play with podcasts has to manage them through iTunes. So that's, that's iPod shuffles, iPod minis. There's a huge push for the iPod minis right now. Uh, and iPod classics. Now I know there's not many of those yeah. left. Those are dinosaurs. 
Well, either way, uh, I agree. So tell, let's talk a little bit about iTunes and podca- podcasts. What, what are your, uh, what's your takeaway with this new version? It's miserable. Uh, it, nothing works. So, so here's where, where I finally landed on this whole thing, because the, the, here's the summary for, for those of you just joining us. Uh, podcasts are, are what I listen to probably 60 plus percent of the time when I'm, when I'm listening to something, it's likely a podcast. And um, I like to listen to podcasts in my car. I like to listen to podcasts when I'm out and about. I like to listen to podcasts around the house. And I like to listen to podcasts on the gym. And most everywhere except the gym, I'm listening to podcasts through my phone. So if I'm around the house, I'm using my phone and I'm airplaying to my various speakers at my house. If I'm in the car, it's going through my car audio set. Um, and then if I'm at the gym, then I use my shuffle. I don't take my iPhone into the gym. I use the shuffle. I don't want to take my iPhone into the gym. I know that's a solution. I don't want to. Um, so I've got to somehow keep these podcasts in sync between my iPhone and my shuffle. And the only way I can do that is through iTunes because iTunes is the only device that will sync with the shuffle. So I was managing podcasts through the music app that became a little more complicated with iOS six. If you delete the podcast app, uh, completely, then um, then you can still manage them through the music app, but you lose some of the features like you can't browse the store and you can't auto-update. So the podcast app was horrible for a while. A couple of, about a month ago, I re-downloaded the podcast app. And, and when I say the podcast app, I mean the Apple podcast app. And I've got that running again on my iPhone. But as far as I can tell, there's really not much advantage to having podcast app on my iPhone because it is it, it does not sync playback position with with iTunes and that's seems to be just ridiculous. Yeah. Well and I've given you a solution that you're not interested in, but I'll say it one last Which time. Which is, is go ahead. Pick pick a couple podcasts or books on tape that you want to listen to at the gym and just those and sync that one iPod through iTunes and get yourself, you know, one of the many very good iTunes podcatchers uh, or iPhone podcatchers and just do the rest there. Yeah. And that would, that would always be at the same place because you're just going to pick up where you left off. And if you want to listen to, you know, this American life at the gym, then you can always listen to this American life at the gym. That may ultimately be what I'm doing just because out of frustration, I'm pulling my hair out. Well, you're making it really complicated because you've got, now you've got a, you've got, I can't remember the last time I plugged my phone into iTunes. And this is kind of jumping we are ahead, jumping ahead and, yeah, but. but I, you know, it's not as relevant as it used to be, but Hey, let's do it. Let's do another sponsor because I've got some stuff I want to get into but before we get there. Let's, let's hit a sponsor. Yeah. Let, let's talk about one password. And we've been talking all about one password version four, which I am still loving, but one password released an update to one password version four, and it has gotten even better. Can you imagine it getting even better than it has been? No, I can't, yeah, frankly. It's gotten even better. So one password version 4.1 for the iPhone or not iPhone, iOS devices, iPhone, iPad, all that other good stuff. iPod touch came out and they added a couple of new features and a couple of old features back in. So the old feature that they added back in is, you know, I sync all of my stuff via Dropbox. I think you do too. New with 1Password version 4, they added the ability for you to sync your your stuff via iCloud, which I thought was a great addition. But some people synced their 1Password keychains via Wi-Fi sync. 
And I can understand maybe you don't want to put your 1Password keychain, even though it is like super stealth, locked down, encrypted, all kinds of good stuff. Some people I understand don't, you know, either because of, 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 of their own feelings or because of company data policies or things like that, don't want to put that in a, in a cloud service like Dropbox or iCloud. So 1Password had this Wi-Fi sync option where you could sync through the 1Password app on your Mac and sync with, through the app on your phone. And that is now back in 1Password 4.1. But far and away, the absolute coolest thing in the world that they have added, period, in 1Password 4.1 is they've now added, I don't even know what this is called, but this this HTML prefix, so this this web prefix to 1Password. So here's how this works. You, you, you get a link in an email, and it says, um, you know, you need to go to XYZ website. So you click on the link in the email, and it opens. I had this happen just recently, Fitbit. You know, I, I got a Fitbit. I'm trying it again, you know, per your recommendation. And I'm kicking your butt, by the way, in step count. I just want the record to reflect that. And <laughs> <laughs> But Fitbit kept sending me all of these emails. So I scrolled down to the bottom of the email, and I clicked the little unsubscribe button. Well, to unsubscribe from the Fitbit emails, I have to enter my username and password and go to my Fitbit control panel. Well, because I'm a good little geek, I have no idea what my username and password is. I know what my username is. I don't know what my password is for Fitbit because it's some super secure, randomly generated password that I only use for Fitbit. So... With with this new URL scheme, all I have to do is move the cursor to the front of the HTTP in, in mobile Safari and type in OP. And then as soon as I do that, it will auto-launch one password on my iPhone and realize, oh, Katie, this is the Fitbit website after I type in my master password and unlock it. And here you go. So just by typing OP, it will launch the Fitbit website after I type in my password Put in my username, put in my password. I mean, it's like instant access to 1Password on your iPhone. It's like the next best thing you could do to have a browser plug-in. And some really smart people have figured out how to create a little bookmarklet to do that automatically. So all you have to do is hit the little bookmarklet and it'll do it. Yeah, it's the, the, the URL schemes are like the magic of iOS because Apple doesn't seem to want to let us make it easy for apps to talk to each other. Anybody who builds in these URL schemes is is getting around it, and one password now does too, which is really amazing. Uh, just to, you know, this is just another example of a company that's really smart and and always going out there to try and find the best way to make things easy for their users, which is why I love having them as a sponsor and why I love giving them money myself to buy and use their products for myself and my family. So go check out one password and uh, tell them you heard about it from us. They've got a. They, speaking of URL schemes, they have a URL for the Mac Power users, right? Uh, they do, but you're probably better off just going ahead and grabbing stuff in the, uh, in the, in the one password in the Mac app store and in the iOS web store. Yeah, that's fine. But do drop them a note. Let them know you heard about them from us. And, uh, thanks one password and, uh, keep developing really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing I was looking at, just kind of catching up our notes here. There's a couple things we missed as we went through. Uh, you know, one of the things that was always confusing to me was this gapless playback, which really only worked when you used crossfades. If you wanted crossfades between your music, I think Apple finally just wised up and just took that out because nobody really knew what they were doing with that. Um, the um, 
it's just overall much cloudier. I, I don't know how else to put it. You know, when I look at this application, it, it really is a, a massive redesign for the user interface. But when you start digging in underneath, it's really still the same iTunes. I mean, you still have the same playlist schemes and the smart playlists and it, it seems to me that it's more of a paint job than a new engine. Well, that's what I was going to say. It, I mean, everybody was hoping when they said, we're coming out with a brand new iTunes, oh, please, God, Apple, start from scratch and, and, and tear it down and, and do it right. And and it was just a facelift. So it is kind of the same old iTunes, warts and all, but prettier. Well, and I kind of sympathize with Apple because this thing is so key to so many products that they sell. So don't yeah, screw are, it up. Are they? Is it? Is it possible for them to do a ground up redesign? Like the search speed thing is is a good indicator. I mean, I don't think they changed a lot under the hood, but searching is definitely slower now. I mean, if they were to start over and just abandon these ten years of work they've done on this thing, are they capable of coming out with something that's not going to cause a ton of grief for a lot of users out there? Who have no clue how to fix them. I mean, a lot of this stuff is pretty fidgety. And you know, in my opinion, they almost need to do a ground up redesign with a new OS because so much of this stuff, syncing, for example, so much of this stuff needs to be built into the core of the OS. So they really need to say, okay, iTunes 11 is is it it is locked let's do bug fixes but this is what it is and if you're running mountain lion or earlier this is what you've got you've got itunes 11 but for you know kitty cat version 10.9 and higher this is what you've got and so many of these features are now baked into the os and you've got this separate you know the app store now has a mac app store and an ios app store and you know this and this and this and this yeah, and that's a good example. There is a Mac App Store, and there is an iOS App Store, and there's not a Mac App Store in iTunes. You don't go to iTunes to buy a copy of 1Password for your Mac. You go to the Mac App Store. And I, I, to me, it seems to me that's the natural progression. I mean, we talk about iOSification of the Mac. Um, maybe there needs to be a separate iBookstore app. And maybe there need you know maybe this stuff needs to just be broken up into separate apps, and then searching and you know jumping between these media would be a lot easier. When I type Miles Davis, I don't need it to search my books library. I'm looking for a Miles Davis album. I'm not looking for a Miles Davis movie. I'm not looking for a Miles Davis book. So uh, to me, it, it, a lot of ways, that's something where pulling over from the iOS system would make more sense. Yeah. And and keep iTunes okay. more for audio. Yeah, but um, even books are confusing because you've got books that are PDFs. You've got they're basically PDF files, or isn't not basically they are PDF files. Then you've got books that are EPUBs, and you've got books that are iBooks author files. Well, it's okay because iBooks will deal with PDFs. And then you've got books that are audio files because you've true. got audio books. So it, it gets a little confusing. So um, I, I just. I'm thinking about like the people in my life who I've helped out of these messes who, if it wasn't for me being around would have been completely incapable of figuring this stuff out. And now I'm looking at the new version and I'm not sure that it's any easier for them. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts stuff um, like acquiring music. 
Yeah, a, a lot of this I think we can skim over a little bit because we we've talked. It's you know it's either pretty straightforward or, or we've talked about it in in previous episodes. You know, a couple of things have changed as a result of of iTunes Match and and other services that have come along. You know, one of the the brand new services that we've seen is Amazon is you know nipping right at the heels of Apple with they've got this new Auto Rip that has just come out. So if you've purchased and, and, and it's it's limited to I think about uh, you know certain eligible CDs and they've got several thousand that are eligible, but if in the past you've purchased a CD from Amazon, a physical CD that's eligible, they've added it to your Amazon Cloud Music Store. Yeah, um, what do you think about that? Did you buy much stuff from the Amazon or when I well, yes and no. First off, to, when I went in to see what was auto rip eligible in my Amazon account, there was one random Bruce Springsteen CD that I have no recollection of ever buying. So as best I can tell, I think I bought it for somebody as a gift. So hey, bonus. Um, I just got a Bruce Springsteen CD because I, I, it, it's not a CD that I would have bought for myself. Um, and so it, I, you know, Amazon Cloud Player brought it in. And then you can use, you know, you can download everything out of your cloud player to your Mac. So then you can use the Amazon helper application to download those MP3 purchases into iTunes, which is what I do. Um, and then, you know, go ahead if you've got, you know, if either keep them in there because they're pretty good quality. Or you can then use iTunes Match to go ahead and, you know, get them updated to, to the iTunes versions. Yeah, I, you know, I don't use Amazon very often. And I have the... Uh, the iTunes down uh, cloud is it the, is it called the cloud player? What the, is the, the app am, that the Amazon cloud player? Is that the one where you buy something from Amazon and it automatically imports into iTunes for you? It used to, and now the default is set to automatically go to your cloud player. So what you have to do is you have to go to yeah. your Amazon cloud player and change your preferences to tell it to auto import and and yeah. download that little helper application. Um, and and so that's an easy enough change to make, and you can go in and you can see what what's recent in there. And then what I did is it it somehow you can you can end up with two copies in there because it'll it'll save them to this music folder in your on your in your library folder, and then you'll you'll pull them into iTunes. So I've actually set up a Hazel rule that will go into that Amazon Music folder and pull any and trash anything that's been in there for more than a certain amount of time. That's clever. Hazel, man, Hazel's so useful. But uh, I, so I don't buy that much from Amazon. Occasionally, you get a deal. I think we got the uh, the Les Mis soundtrack for like five bucks. Oh, really? Which, I'm gonna go look right now and see if that's in there. Uh, it was all. It was like a promotion right around Christmas. Damn. And listening to, uh, I think I should just stop what I was about to. Say. I love Les Mis. Either way. Oh, me too. But I, I thought some of the people in the movie weren't very good singers. But anyway, um, so. I, but getting it into my iTunes was like a project because I didn't have oh, it's the fourteen forty five now. Yeah, I didn't have the download utility uh, built in, and then something went wrong. And for some reason, I didn't have all the pieces in place on the laptop to make it happen. Um, I tweeted something nasty about it and got a lot of people angry at me. But the um, when I went over to the iMac, I was able to do it, no trouble. But uh, I have to be honest; I, I think I'm really. I really take the easy road on this stuff. I generally just buy stuff when I'm going to buy it in iTunes. Um, I used to buy CDs only, and then I'd always rip them, you know, so I'd get the higher bit rate, and I wouldn't have all the DRM nonsense. But now I already get a higher bit rate, and the bit rate I get from iTunes is just fine for me. 
and I don't have DRM on it anyway, and I don't like storing the CDs and worrying about all that stuff. So I've become really lazy about this stuff. Even with movies, the last year or so, because um, we don't buy many movies. When my kids were younger, we bought a lot more movies. But like I always buy the Pixar movies because I'm a Pixar nut. So when Brave came out, I just bought the uh, the iTunes version because... It's high definition. I don't have a Blu-ray player in my house, and I get to watch high definition on my TV. And it's automatically on all my devices. And it was twenty bucks, and I could have got it at you know Walmart for twelve or fifteen or whatever. But I didn't mind paying a few extra bucks, and it was already done. And I, you know, I, I don't know how to get all this stuff across all the devices without you know doing some legally dubious steps. And I wouldn't be able to get a high definition version anyway. So. Uh, I've really started to kind of fall in, you know, march step with Apple on this stuff in terms of buying this content through iTunes. Yeah, I will the pretty much the only physical discs that I'll buy. I do have a Blu-ray player. Um, I mainly got it because it's got access to Amazon Prime streaming on it, believe it or not. And I do use the Amazon Prime streaming service quite a bit. I will buy um, off Amazon these combo packs. You know how you can get the combo packs that has like the Blu-ray and the iTunes digital download? Yeah. So oh. that's smart. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's usually when you get them on Amazon, you can get it for about the same price as you can get the regular DVD. And then I don't have to, you know, then I've already got the iTunes digital download. Yeah. So with the kids, you know, they would inevitably put peanut butter on DVDs. Hopefully not. Anymore. I don't know why. Or jelly. Um, but These one or the happen. other. Or both, so that's how I got in the habit of ripping their movies. Once we buy them, I'd immediately rip them and just store the DVD, so we wouldn't have that problem. But now I'm just I'm really I've simplified these things. But to be honest, I don't buy many movies. I don't watch a lot of inter, you know I don't watch a lot of movies, so it's not that expensive for me to do that occasionally. Yeah. Okay. So nothing nothing really new besides um you know maybe getting your content in from other sources like like Amazon or. You know, uh, upgrading with iTunes Match. In, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get to iTunes Match in a minute. You want to do a sponsor? Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and talk about our next sponsor, and that is Connected Data. And they've got this really interesting new product coming out, the Transporter product. And it's it's this internet-connected hard drive. It, it's basically your own personal cloud storage. And we all love cloud storage, right? We we like services like Dropbox, we like services like CrashPlan. I mean, I use and love all of these services, but for some things there's always this little bit of hesitation because it's not my cloud. And we are really struggling with this particularly in the legal community, and I'm sure that there, you know, that really can be true for any business about using these cloud services when you don't know who has control over the cloud. I don't necessarily have problems with it with my own personal documents, but sometimes, you know, you want more storage than you can buy or subscribing to something with a recurring plan can get expensive. And if you want more storage, then you've got to pay more and more and more. And then that comes, that bill comes due every year. So the idea with the transporter is you buy this device, you pick the hardware, the hard drive size that works for you. Um, and then you've got this and you've got access to all of your data. And what we're actually looking at doing is, um, you know, everybody wants offsite storage. Everybody wants offsite backup is we're looking at picking up two of these. And what you can do is you can take one and you can put it, you know, say in your office and have a local copy of your data in your office. 
um, whether it's your primary copy of your data or whether you just have like a clone job set up to where your server backs up your data to this transporter device. You know, it doesn't matter. Pick your poison. How do you want to do it? And then you can take these transporters and you can scatter them around. So, um, you know, maybe you just want to put one off site at somebody's house, or maybe you've got remote workers and maybe each remote worker has their own transporter device and you can share out the data with them at the various sites. So, or maybe you just want one for offsite backup and you want to duplicate everything that's on the transporter at the office and duplicate it to the transporter at your offsite location. You can do that. But the idea is it's your cloud, it's your device. And so you're copying the data from this one location to the other. And in the instance where you're using maybe remote workers, you can decide, okay, well, you can have access to this file, but not this file, this this subset of folders, but not this subset of folders. And you can really pick and choose specifically what you want to share. And if that person no longer works for you or you want to restrict access, you know, you still take go in as the owner of that and you know, restrict and, and remove the access. You always keep the control. And it's a really unique idea of using these cloud services, but having local storage and owning that cloud. And uh, I, I think the time is right for a product like this. Yeah. I mean, have you ever thought Dropbox is great, but what if uh, something happened where I wanted to call up Dropbox and say, please unplug all your servers so nobody can get access to that stuff I, I uploaded there? I mean, how well do you think that would go over? Probably, Probably not very well. Not, no. But if this is essentially your own local server, so at any point you can walk over and yank the plug and it is no longer available on the internet. Now, there are some limitations because you're sharing, if you've got other devices sharing it, obviously it would be in those other locations as well. But if you wanted to use just one and just have it as your offsite storage, it's a really great way to do it. I think this is a, a really nice product. It fits right in the middle between full-on cloud storage and something more local. And it's not that expensive. It's definitely worth checking out. They just finished their Kickstarter campaign. It was hugely successful. The products are working. Katie and I have both been using one for a couple months now. Mm-hmm. And it's not. it doesn't feel like a beta product to me. It feels like a completed product. They're going to be at Macworld, by the way. I'm going to be at their booth. We haven't figured out when yet. And I suspect Katie will probably will, at some point, yep. too. So go check them out if you're at Macworld. And, and go to their, go check it out. If you haven't, just go to the Transporter. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes yeah. so you can go see their website. Yeah, you can find them at uh, uh, filetransporter.com, and they've got some videos and some more information up there. Yeah, and this may be the product you are looking for. So so go check it out. So uh, thanks to Connected Data and the Transporter for uh, supporting the show. So, Katie, let's get into something that we've talked about before. We did a whole show on iTunes Match when it first came out, and I was very excited about it at the time. And here we are, I guess, about a year later now. Uh, a little, a little over, over a year, year. yeah. Did you renew? Yeah, I did. And I've I think this has been hugely uh, helpful for me because I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I have got a couple Macs. Um, my kids have, a, my, my wife has a Mac. Um, we have a shared, I, I, uh, we have shared iMac. I don't know. Tonight, I, I think I'm a little off here. I'm not, I'm not, I don't seem to be getting my words together very well, but anyway, um, and then I've got these iOS devices and managing music between all of them is a huge pain. And iTunes match has really been great for me because now I've got all of my library 
backed up to the iTunes um, databases or the iMatch database. And then I can just go through and select what comes down to my various devices. It feels really great. And I think it was show 66. I recommend you go back and listen to the whole show if you want to listen to an hour and a half about this stuff. Is it, but it doesn't seem the, like that long ago. It was show 66, and now we're on 122. Yeah, That's scary. I know. I looked it up. But the, you know, the, the short end of the story is you can have your, your music – matched in the Apple servers. And basically, they keep a list of everything that you've matched. So when you connect with a new Mac or connect with a new iOS device, it's just going to give you that list. And then you can selectively download what you want. And this has solved a lot of problems in the Sparks house. Like we had a very complicated Byzantine process before where we had one Mac in the house that held the master iTunes library. And if you were going to buy something, you could only buy it on that computer. And if you were going to sync a device, you could only sync it on that computer. And every time as a user, you'd go in and look at it, you would see all this stuff, you know, uh, Zach and Cody and, you know, all the, you know, the, just imagine all the craziness in my, my life. But anyway, Zach and Cody, is that code? Oh, it was it was hell. It was hell. But um, I don't want to go there. I'm having nightmares already. But uh, or you know, all the or the music the kids listen to. Actually, as my kids get older, I'm starting to like their music. But that's that's a whole other story. Um, either way, so we had this library and it was a mess. But now that we've lived with iTunes Match for a year, it's become much less so because. Uh, in terms of music, you can download on whatever computer you use, whatever music you want. And I do have a, a hard copy saved to my Drobo of the full library. I downloaded the whole thing on one computer and backed it up, and I still do that every once in a while. But in terms of the other computers and devices in the house, none of them have the full library on it. We have the smaller version. And you know, Apple manages this whole thing for you. And I think this is a pretty... Um, effective use of cloud technologies. I, I, I've been very happy with it. Yeah, I've been overall happy with iTunes Match. I, I liked some of the initial features of iTunes Match. You know, kind of like the, the 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 free upgrade to get all of your songs, you know, upgraded with iTunes. And and, and we covered that in episode sixty six. But well, again, you know, you could take a, a poor rendition of a track, and so long as it meets the minimum requirements, it'll automatically get replaced with the higher bitrate version. Right, which, which was a great reason to do it for you know for the for the first twenty five bucks alone for for no other yeah. reason. Um, I, I have struggled some with iTunes Match, and you know, obviously, my situation being single person with one library is is different from yours, and so I definitely see where this has huge benefits in a household um, full of people. I quite I haven't quite found it as beneficial, and I and I've run into some roadblocks with iTunes Match. I have, but overall, I found it worthwhile enough that I did renew it and I did keep it. But I found that I had to modify my workflow a little bit to make iTunes Match work for me. And particularly, what I've struggled with is I found that iTunes Match um, on iOS devices had um, difficulty with complicated playlists. So, for example, if you had, you know, just a, a regular playlist that you drag stuff into, iTunes Match was fine. If you had a smart playlist that had only a couple of variables, iTunes Match was fine. But if you got into a complicated smart playlist and your smart playlist was referring to other playlists or your smart playlist um, maybe had embedded, you know, if all of these but any of these and you know how you can – and we'll talk about it a little more in the, in the, as we get into talking about organizing your library. But if, if – I created some pretty complicated 
uh, playlists in iTunes. And those were a nightmare. I could not get them to re- reliably sync to iTunes match. And I was just banging my head up against the wall. And finally, what I had to do is, is I ended up deleting some of my playlists and I ended up going through and really figuring out ways to simplify a lot of my playlists. Did you have any trouble with playlist syncing? Yeah, I, I'm curious to see your playlist because I, I haven't had that problem, but I, I don't think I'm as complicated with my playlists as you are. So um, the, the short answer is no, I haven't had a problem with it. But but we're going to talk about playlists in a minute, and I think you may have me whipped with some of the uh, playlists you've created. Oh, I only put the simple ones that I actually work with iTunes Match in the show. Well, I'm looking at... Um, like, you know, the this, this stuff I have, it's all showing up. I'm looking at my iPad mini as we talk, and it's all here. And I've never noticed any problems with them. Okay. Um, yeah, and the playlists are neat because, well, I guess we should, we'll get there in a minute. But uh, the short version of this is listen to episode 66 if you want to get really good at iTunes Match. But um, I think it's something worth at least considering if you haven't because it really solves a problem. Now, if you've got a large library over 25,000 tracks, you're going to run into trouble. And with our library of about 16,000 tracks, it is pretty, it's pretty rough sometimes, I think, getting through it all to, to find something. Um, but that being said, like being in the car with my family and my daughter saying, hey, I just bought a really cool album. We should listen to it. But she doesn't have any of her stuff with her. I can open my iPhone and download it, and we can be listening to it in 30 seconds. And that is, it really feels like we're living in the future when you can do that. Yeah. Now, are you still on your unlimited data plan? Because I, I tend to be leery of doing that just because of my data caps. Yeah, I, I'm not. I've never been on an unlimited data plan. Uh, I gave it up years ago. And that's a whole other topic. You know, I, I gave it up for tethering um, because I needed tethering a lot more than I needed unlimited data. So we're on an AT&T family plan now. I think we get like four gigabytes a month or something. And we never really hit it all. It's just fine. And like I said, my daughter says she got a new album. I'm downloading three or four songs from the album. I could probably download the whole album. I wouldn't really think about it twice. Okay. All right. Well, maybe let's talk about some of that that organizing and how we're organizing our files and, and see what I'm yeah. doing wrong. And, well, no, I think I think that is what you're doing right. I mean, that's what, to me, iTunes on the Mac is all about. It's not about playing music so much as it is organizing it. I play music on my iPhone and occasionally on my iPad. Um, I read books on the iPad. You know, all this stuff, I I consume the content on the iPad and the iPhone. Rarely do I want to organize playlists there, but I do like to do that on the Mac. And in some ways, this new version is a step back because it's, um, it's harder to get to those tools. But going to, like Katie, and just showing... The sidebar, if you want to do that, that allows you, it gives you the little tools at the bottom of the screen to open a smart playlist. Or you could go up to the, what is it, the, what, the uh, view menu? What menu is it that I can create a playlist? Let's see here. Oh, I've, I've always done it with the sidebar. Yeah, me too. That's why I'm looking. But it used to be, I think it was a file menu. Oh, file new, and then you can say new playlist, yeah. new smart playlist, new playlist yeah, folder. Yeah, so it's a sub menu. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you can create them there as well. Now, if I have the sidebar turned off, then I'd probably want to do it through the menu bar. But the point is these playlists are really powerful. And if you've not done this yet, 
this is where this is. It took an hour for us to get here, but this is where you're going to get your money's worth. Open up one of those new playlists, and the, there's two types. You can do the smart playlist and just the the basic playlist. The basic playlist is just a something you put a label on, and you can copy tracks into it. I've I've got one at my house called Make Dad Hip, and whenever my kids download something that they think I might like, they just drag it in there, and then whenever I'm you know, want to listen to something new, I'll go in there and there's always new tracks in it because the kids are putting them in there and then I'll download those and listen to it and see what I like and don't like. That's what I would, that's, that's a basic playlist. There's no smart, you know, rules involved, but the smart playlist is where, you know, you know, my nerd heart starts thumping because when you create a new smart playlist, there's all these conditions you can set them against. You know, there's a, there's a, you can match it to have any of the conditions or all of them, or as Katie was talking about kind of an and or situation, and you can, there's so many different ways you can sort these tracks by album, bit rate, category. Uh, you can say if it's in an existing playlist. So you could make a, like a make dad hip playlist. And then you could say, look at anything in there, but also something that has, you know, more than 10 plays or something that has not been skipped more than 10 times or, you know, or something that's four stars or more or whatever you want to make as a second condition for that. So the smart playlist start building themselves based on conditions you set. And that's really cool. Yeah. Now let's, let's, do you have any favorites you want to share? Well, to give some examples. Yeah. Why don't let's go over some of yours. All right. Um, so one, one of my, and and this one's pretty easy is a smart playlist. Um, for just, I need to come up with a better name for it, but I just call it new. Now there's a, Apple gives you a playlist already. That's called purchase music. And that's all the music that you've ever purchased throughout the history of iTunes. And and that's good enough. But I've, I've been, you know, experimenting with music. I've been buying some, a lot of gym music recently. You know, I've been discovering new music through my spin class and stuff that I like. So, um, this, this new playlist, um, is a smart playlist and its criteria is, um, first off, all of my playlist criteria are match only checked songs. So you can, in iTunes, you can check and uncheck songs. And I use that a lot. I use check and uncheck songs. You know, I make sure that all my holiday songs are unchecked and things like that. So I don't, I don't get a lot of this stuff that I really don't want in my playlist. So another way you could do that is like, I, I've got all my holiday songs in a, in a genre called Yule. And so one of my conditions will be, um, genre is not Yule. Yeah, you can do that too. But for my new songs playlist, it's pretty simple. Date added is in the last 12 months. That's one of the criteria. And it's if if all of these... It doesn't seem like a new song, though. 12 months is... That's a long time. I don't buy that many songs. So, yeah. Okay. So date added is in the last 12 months. Um, Kind is music, obviously. Rating is greater than one star. So what this means is I actually have to... I, I... pretty aggressively rate songs. And, and I actually, here's another playlist I have. I have a smart playlist based on unrated. So anything that has a no star rating gets put in this playlist as a reminder for me to go in and rate it. Yeah. And then it sounds to me like you're like me. If you put a one star, that means it's something you're going to flush. Pretty much. So the rating, the rating has to be If I put a one star, star. it's going to die. I don't, I don't keep it around. If it's one star, that's just for me when I get around to it, to go find all the one star uh, songs and just get them out of there. Yeah. Um, and then I match only checked items and it's, it's live updating. So that's, that's new. That's, you know, anything I've bought within the last year, pretty much that I've bothered to go in and rate. Well, explain live updating just real quick. Okay. So live, live updating basically means that, that this playlist is going to change based on my library changing. So I don't have to go in and manually change it. Yeah. So like when a song gets to 13 months, it's gone. 
Goodbye. And, and that's also if you change the checked status, it would it'd go away. Um, I have some uh, one like that or similar like that where it, it looks at songs that I've got um, three rate three stars or higher um, that are jazz that I haven't listened to in you know two months. And so as soon as I listen to it, then it's by its own condition knocks itself out of the list. And that's something I do so I can just listen to so I don't listen to the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I've got one fairly similar that's just called Unsung Heroes. And I probably – sometimes I get creative about naming them. Um, and, and I probably need to narrow down the criteria because right now the way that I've got it, it could be anything. It could be classical. It could be rock. It, it could be a musical. It could be anything. So I probably need to narrow it down. But it's just basically kind as music. I would suggest you throw in a genre in there like jazz or soft rock and then you could have a couple of these. But rating is greater than two stars, so it's three stars or better. I limit it to the last 50 items selected by least recently played. And again, only checked items in, love, in, uh, in uh, live updating. And see, limiting items is really useful when you've got an iPhone that's got 16 gigabytes on it. You don't want to drag down a playlist that's going to take up you know, a bunch of your, your storage. So uh, you can put limits on these things, and it makes a mobile version of the library. It's you know, it's amazing to me that I could like wipe out my library on my iPhone and with just a couple playlists, uh, get really close to the music I want to have on it. Yeah. Now, yeah. what do you do about you know? There's there's kind of all of these tracks that we have to have in our library, but yet. We don't necessarily want them to come up when we're randomly shuffling or mixing music, and I don't want them in these playlists. Like for me, you, you touched on it with holiday music. Another category for me might be classical music. I have a couple hundred tracks, maybe not a couple hundred, maybe a hundred tracks of classical music. I'm not a huge classical music fan, but I've got some more popular classical music in my playlist. But I don't necessarily, when I'm just shuffling through my typical music, I, I, you know, I all of a sudden I don't I don't want Bach to pop up. Yeah, well, it's the genre tag is a great way to do it. So you can select just piles of music in iTunes. You know, that's the great thing about these views we were talking about the list view, and now even with album view, it did multiple selections. And then uh, I think this still works. I got to check it, so I don't want to be full of it. But Command I, yeah, it still works. So you hit Command I, it opens up the um the ability to edit multiple items so you could select everything you could select all of your classical music and it's probably a certain series of albums if it's if if i'm guessing correct so you could select those yeah. albums hit command i and then go down and under the genre tag make sure they all have the same genre as classical and one of the tricks to this is making sure that you don't have different kinds of genres i mean like a good example is when dave brubeck died i you know, I was feeling bad. I met Dave and I thought he was a really cool guy. And so I, I've been listening to his music a lot lately, but I had his music listed as Dave Brubeck, the Dave Brubeck quartet, and then the Dave Brubeck quartet with a dash in it. So, uh, I had three different artists as Dave Brubeck. And if I just said, you know, play Dave Brubeck, it would pick between one of those three artists. So by selecting all the Dave Brubeck albums and just typing in artist, the Dave Rubeck Quartet, it automatically went through and gave them all the exact matching 
um, uh, artist name. You could do the same thing with genre. So if you selected all your classical music, gave it the, the, um, the, the genre classical, then you can use that as a condition in your playlist and just say, I don't want, play, I don't want classical music showing up in this playlist. And then you say genre you know, is not classical, and you're fine. Um, the, the way I really get around it is I've got more than you do in terms of those kind of one-off playlists. I've got, you know, like 10 or 12 of them and some are classical and some are, you know, um, you know, some are jazz and some are pop and some are, you know, stuff my kids like. And, you know, I lately I'm going under this, this Foo Fighter thing. So I've got a whole Foo Fighter playlist now. So it just depends what what you're into and and don't hesitate to make a bunch of these things they're free right so make as many as you want and if you're using itunes match they just show up on your ios devices so you spend the time making it on your 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 computer and then when you show up on your your phone you can just go go to the foo fighters and you can download all the songs you have in there what if you're over Wi-Fi, it happens really fast. It's it's great. I I really like this stuff. I'm, I I think this is the the magic of iTunes. Like if this update had come out and they'd removed smart playlists, I would be a lot more upset in this podcast than I am. And and the other thing that you can do if you've got you know I call them kind of my unsung heroes. If you've got an, an unsung heroes for jazz, an unsung heroes for classic, an unsung heroes for you know if you've got an artist that you really like, you know Billy Joel, Melton John are two of my all times favorites. So maybe I've got a playlist full of you know classic Billy Joel and classic Elton John songs that I haven't heard in a while. You can take all of those songs that I haven't heard in a while playlists in specific categories or specific genres, and you can throw them into a folder because you can create folders full of playlists as well. Yeah. And that's really useful for my family situation because uh, we are sharing an iTunes library. And when I create a playlist, it shows up in every iteration of iTunes on every Mac in this house. So my daughter is going to see my new Foo Fighters playlist and I don't want her messing with it. And she's going to have a playlist. I mean, she's got all these crazy playlists. And she doesn't want me messing with hers. So I created a set of folders. Every every individual in my house has their own folder in that playlist um, listing. So we create our playlists within our own folders. And we don't look at each other's folders. Except when they're dragging stuff in, into that Make Dad Hit playlist so I can learn some new music. Yeah. This stuff, you know, a good. This is really a good jumping off point. Um, uh, Merlin and Dan, I just listened to Back to Work yesterday, and we had already written the outline for the show and found out that Merlin's going to do an iTunes show. I'm like, oh man, this is a lot of overlap. But I guess it's also cross promotion because I've uh, sat next to Merlin and looked at his iTunes, and he's got some real crazy smart playlists. So I'm sure he's going to be talking about it. Uh, he goes deep on the stuff for the same reason we do because you want a way to, to quickly manage your music. And I know he's kind of crazy about you know music metadata anyway, so that'll be a good one. If you if you're if you're interested in more of this stuff, uh, be watching Back to Work. In fact, it may be out before this show airs because we're recording this quite early with with uh, MacWorld coming up. But uh, check that stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, do you want to talk more about organizing? You want to do our last sponsor? Now let's let's do our last sponsor real quick, and that's Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace is everything you need to make an amazing website. It's a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. 
This means that no matter how experienced you are with building websites, you can build something amazing in minutes without having to worry about hosting, scaling, or integration. They've got beautiful, clean templates. Everything in this platform is drag and drop, and everything is integrated. The, the layout engine is Squarespace's page builder, which allows you to create custom layouts and each of your pages in seconds. You can add blocks of content, such as photos, video, text, social media, and tons more. You don't have to worry about your site will look on a mobile device. The entire thing will restructure automatically to fit on every device and maintain the beauty of the site's design. And I see this with Max Sparky all the time. I've been working with Squarespace for years, and when I switch over to an iPad or an iPhone, I love the way it scales and adjusts. Um, if you like stats, you'll love the real-time analytics that are built into Squarespace. There's even iOS and Android apps that let you manage and post on the go, which is going to be really useful for me at Macworld. I'm really looking forward e- to that. Yeah, you can even import your content from your current blog and easily set up sharing and syncing with your social media accounts. I, I'm just a big fan of Squarespace. Um, I was a long time before they became a sponsor, and, and I think it's a great way to get yourself started with this stuff. When you sign up for a year on Squarespace, you get a free custom domain name. Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan or $20 a month for an limited plan. But if you sign up for a year, you get uh, for the 20 if you sign up for a year, you get 20% off. And uh, if you sign up for two years, you get 25% off. I didn't know that. I think I might be making a bigger sign-up next time I come to you. <laughs> if you want to pay uh, month-to-month, you can easily link your custom domain name with a few clicks. There's no credit card required to try it out. Simply go to squarespace.com slash users and start the mm-hmm. trial. Now, if you decide to purchase, click enter offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code MPU, the number one. So that's MPU one for an additional 10% off. So go check out Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. And uh, I once again, strongly endorse this site. I, uh, I'm very happy with the service I've got for maxsparky.com. Good deal. All right. So cleaning up and is, is kind of an integral part of, of organizing your site and or your uh, your iTunes folder, and we've talked about this a, a, a little bit, but it, it's still something that becomes, I think, even more important with iTunes 11 because iTunes 11 is so um, so artwork based, so artwork driven. You want to make sure that you've got all that artwork. You want to make sure that your metadata and all of your tags is is correct. Um, the tool that I've been using for a lot of that is a product called TuneUp. Have you, are you familiar with that? Yeah, I've uh, I played with that a few years ago, and I never really it never really bit for me. It's um it's not something that I would go through in although they do have a setting and just say go ahead and analyze my library and take care of it. I, I don't trust it because I found it's been hit or miss. But overall, I found it's been good. And and here's the trick that I do. The bottom line is it a lot of it's just elbow grease, right? You know, like so many things is going through your library and figuring out what you need to do. So what I've done is, um, or what I typically recommend doing is, is when you have time, I, I go through and I, I sort by artist because that's, you know, it's, it's kind of an easy way to handle it. You've probably got, you know, fewer artists than you do songs, but you know, not, not as few as you do albums. So I thought that was a good way to organize it. And I go through artists and I just kind of one by one, take the artists and I look and see what's in there. So when I looked at the Beatles, for example, you know, I noticed that some of my, my Beatles albums were, were messed up. Some of them, um, had 
they had um, songs that spun across different tracks. Some of them, the CDs were labeled, you know, like disc one. Some of them, the CDs were just labeled plain and didn't have disc one. So they were showing up as multiple CDs, but yet they were all part of the same album. Um, and some of that you have to go in and manually fix. Some of that, this tune up went in and fixed. But you can, it's that select all thing and getting info on a group of songs and going in and manually adjusting the tags or using a, a tool like TuneUp. I found TuneUp has been really good um, for, for songs that have nothing in their tags. It seems to be good at that. And it seems to be good for finding artwork. Or if you're changing like a whole album at once. I, I don't find it as good for, you know, piecemeal. Uh, you know, some of these tracks are right, some of these tracks are wrong. Yeah, fixing your metadata is really important. And, you know, this is the nerdy part. You need to give some thought to it. It's almost like, you know, when we talked about naming files in our paperless show, you've got to decide, you know, what type of of system are you going to use? Are you going to call it classical, like Christmas music? I've got some Christmas music, but it's not very Christmassy. So that's why I eventually decided I'm just going to call it all Yule. But you need to actually stop and think about that. You know, like jazz music. I, I mean, I don't consider like Kenny G jazz music, but it shows up in jazz when I get it. Wait, so, you have Kenny G? Well, if I would, I would delete it actually. Okay. But the, um, you know, but you know, like uh, smooth jazz. To me, that's not jazz. So I have a different category for that. I call it fusion. So it just depends what you want to do, but you need to stop and think about that and, and use that trick that I talked about earlier with the command I to go in and change this information. Album, uh, album art is the same way. Like another, a really good way to do album art. If you've got an album where you just can't find it is just do a Google images search or an Amazon search. You're going to find the album cover somewhere, select all the tracks Hit command I, there's a field, you drag it in and then you've got the album art that also works for a movie. Uh, movie covers and book titles and, and things like that. Um, there's a great site called Music Brains, M-U-S-I-C-B-R-A-I-N-Z.org. Uh, they have some some great metadata stuff. Um, they have a product called Picard that works on the Mac, and this is one that Merlin has been talking about a lot lately. I haven't even tried it yet, but if he likes it, I'm sure it's great. Um, so that's a nice way to kind of go through and update your metadata. Um, you can spend a lot of time on this stuff. I don't. I mean, when I did the iTunes match thing, uh, you know, but a year, I guess a year and a half now, uh, I spent some time going through and cleaning up my library, and that's really uh, served me well. You know, I can sit in front of the TV with a Mac and, and fix tracks. I, I don't want to find myself spending two or three hours just sitting here fixing metadata. That's usually a sign that I've got a problem in my life. So you got to, you know, use your own judgment. But uh, if for me, uh, key fields are genres, album titles, artists, and once I get that stuff set right, then I've got enough data I need to really kind of go nuts with with playlists. And that's for me the whole reason I'm doing a lot of this stuff is I want to have good playlists. Yeah, for um, album artwork, I actually created a smart playlist called No Artwork, so I can go in quickly and at a glance see what doesn't have artwork. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another great thing is is uh, Doug Adams has Doug scripts, and uh, we've referenced him before on the show. Doug made a ton of Apple scripts that go through and do all kinds of magic to iTunes uh, databases. And as I understand, most of this stuff still works with iTunes 11. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know really, there's not really an easy way to do it. Right. Uh, and duplicates is back duplicates. Uh, finding duplicates was not in the original release of iTunes 11, but it's back now. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you can go through. I took care of all that stuff when I went up to iTunes Match. And if you go back to the iTunes Match show, we talked quite a bit about how to do that stuff. So, And that hasn't largely hasn't changed. So uh, you definitely want to spend a little time on your library, but realize also this can be a huge time sink if you let it. Yeah. All right, beyond iTunes, I think this last point in the outline is worth at least a little mention. Um, there's a lot of developing third-party services like Pandora, Spotify, um, RDO, um, and that are kind of going beyond iTunes to find and discover music or with podcasts we've already talked about, like Downcast and Instacast. Uh, to what extent have you embraced those things, Katie? Well, you know, I haven't embraced the podcast part very much. I've tried, and I want to, and I know that they're they're good services, but, uh, you know, it's just that whole syncing with, with non-iOS devices that has been problematic. Um, I've tried them, and of, of them, I like Downcast personally, but I know Instacast has had an update since the last time I tried them, so I may want to go back and look that. Yeah, I used Instacast for the longest time, and for the strangest reason, I went over to Downcast. The problem was the Instacast icon was the exact same color as the music icon, and I would always look down and hit the wrong one, you know, because I'd, I'd look at the color. You know, we've, we've established I'm into the visual stuff. Downcast has a bright red icon. It makes it really easy, and now I've been using Downcast so long, I kind of like it. So I think you can't go wrong with either one of those. Um in terms of like these music streaming services, I've never been into um, them so much. I know like for 10 or $15, you can do a music streaming service where you can get a lot of interesting music discovery type things. Um, I think they have a place even for, even for someone like you. And, and I agree with you. I'm not really into, I seldom use, you know, something like Pandora or Spotify, but I'll, I'll tell you when I did use it is I had a I hosted a party here at my house and I wanted a little background music, and I I tend to have pretty specific music tastes and I was I was sitting here for hours in my iTunes library trying to figure out you know trying to come together with a playlist that would show that I was you know hip and appropriate and you know what would be good background music and things like that and I just went in Pandora and found a station and you know sent yeah. it to my Bluetooth speakers and played it on low in the background it was fine. There's another one I like. It's called Songza. Songza. S-O-N-G. Yeah. yeah. S-O-N-G-Z-A. I did a post on it, Max Parky. The, um, it's not so much focused on the artist as kind of a mood. And I use that one occasionally, which is kind of cool. But, you know, largely I still manage music through iTunes. I have some great playlists. And depending on my mood, I can jump between them. And I do play music quite often. I work with music in the background all the time. I've never been able to work well with, with music in the background. I mean, if it's just busy work, I can do that fine. But anything that I've needed to concentrate on, I can't do with music. Yeah, especially, well, music with words, I can't. But I can have, like, I don't even want to know how many times I've played the Yo-Yo Ma Bach cello uh, album. It's probably in the thousands. <laughs> you know, that's easy to tell now that you have iTunes Match. Yeah. Actually, it's not because slightly uh, shortly before I went to, went over to iTunes Match, I had kind of a iTunes um, problem, and my library started over about a year and a half ago. So I've lost many of those play counts. Right. Anyway, so here we are at an hour and a half again, and uh, we have a ton of feedback, but I think we're going to put some off to the next show. You know, David, let's let's do some feedback anyway. All right, we got a bunch. We got to get. We, we do. We gotta. We gotta crack some of this down. Maybe we won't go too long, but there's there's some stuff we've got to get through. Um, so, seeming appropriate for the iTunes show, we got um, some feedback from Bill. I think this was when we did our 
resolutions or yeah, I think it was our resolution show and talking about he was catching up and I was talking about how I use the ShopSafe credit card because I had had some problems in the past with the credit card that was associated with my iTunes account. And Bill pointed out that why you used to have to have a credit card associated with your iTunes account, that's no longer the case. You can now make an iTunes account that has no credit card associated with it. You previously could associate an iTunes account with PayPal, but now there's a box you can click that's marked none. And if you want to do this, you can just supply an iTunes gift card. And great. so this is this is great for kids or this is great for people who, for whatever reason, don't want to put in their their credit card number and great for people who might live in other countries but yet want to buy from the U.S. iTunes store if they can get a hold of a U.S. Uh, iTunes gift card. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Uh, we also heard feedback concerning the Habits app. I had talked a little bit about how I like to use good habits. And someone had recommended using Do. Um, D-U-E, which they thought was more robust and uh, it's got a better way for um, giving more options regarding time and intervals. Uh, So I thought it was another option if you're looking into these Habits apps. I'm actually playing with a bunch of Habits apps right now and I think I'm going to do something with those. Um, We also got feedback talking about uh, the day one application. We've talked about that several times over the last several shows and someone said, hey, how about Mac Journal? And, uh, you know, that was kind of a forehead-slapping moment. That's a, a really good app that, um, that I don't think we've ever talked about on this show. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes. It's another, you know, classic uh, Mac, Mac developer with a really great app, Mac Journal. So I'll put that in. You can check it out. Yeah. Going back to our resolution show again, um, I got a lot of feedback and a lot of questions about this whole idea of having a separate recovery email address. And I talked about how um, for services that I'm able to, I'm shifting my recovery address away from my primary email address and using this completely separate email address that I don't associate with anything else and that I have locked down with two-factor authentication. And several people wrote back and said, well, how are you doing that? Because for most services that I use, it just, you know, it, your email address is your email address or your email address is your login. Um, and, and you're right, that is that is problematic because for for some things, you can't set an email address as your recovery email address that is different from your primary email address associated with your account or your email address is your login or, or something like that. And this isn't a method that works well for everything, um, but some you can set a specific email address as your recovery email address. So maybe look into that. The iCloud account is one where you can set a separate recovery address. Gmail accounts are accounts where you can set reco- separate recovery addresses. I think Twitter, you can set a separate recovery address in some of these services. So it's becoming more common practice now to set a separate recovery address email that's not your primary account, I think, because services are finding out that this is a problem. And, you know, there may be certain services that you want to sign up for intentionally, although that can come with some inconveniences, um, with not your primary email address. So things to keep in mind. Yeah. We also heard feedback about other ways to save disk space. And um, uh, one listener wrote in and said, hey, you know, there's a a terminal command to disable local backup storage with the uh, Time Machine backups. Yeah, that's a new thing. Was it Lion or Mountain Lion that if you didn't have your Time Machine backup connected, your Mac would continue to make and store local Time Machine backups and then offload them to your Time Machine disk when it was reconnected? Well, you know, don't quote me on this. I know it was active in the Lion beta. And then when 
I thought when Lion shipped, they had pulled it, and it either showed up somewhere between Lion and Mountain Lion, or it showed up with Mountain Lion. But the idea is, you know, you have Time Machine, and a lot of people are on laptops, so they're not always going to be plugged into their backup storage. So the idea is the Mac will kind of make a temporary Time Machine data file on your laptop. So when you plug it into your Time Machine storage, it'll sort things out for you. And uh, this listener wrote in and said that, you know, there's a terminal command you can follow to to delete that. And in this guy's case, he had saved something like, I think, 70 gigabytes or some massive amount of data. Um, I don't think it was that much, but it was, it was significant. Yeah. But the, either way, um, that stuff is out there. We'll put the link in the show notes, but just be wary. You, you know, there are dragons there. Um, there are. And some other suggestions that were given were, you know, disable your, your sleep image when you put it that the sleep image is that snapshot of everything that's in memory that's written to the disk when your when your computer goes to sleep. Um, that's an option too. You can save some disk space. Um, there's a system preference that I believe is still in active development called Safe Sleep, where you can modify that behavior a little bit rather than turn it on or turn it off. You can adjust it based on certain criteria. So, you know, maybe if my battery is below a certain threshold, yes, save that disk image because maybe I might run out of battery life. But if it's not, don't. Um, I, some of this stuff makes me nervous. I mean, hard drives are not as expensive now as they used to be. Although certainly, if you're you're buying a third party SSD, they they can get pricey. Uh, you know, it just doesn't take but but getting, um, you know, put in a bad spot by these kind of techniques of savings disk space once or twice to to wish you'd spent that little bit of extra money and got a little bit bigger SSD. Uh, in my life, I always find that when I try and get too clever, I always end up regretting it, and this this almost falls in that category for me. So, you know, you start to get so tricky with things that suddenly your hard drive just doesn't work anymore and you've got to spend, you know, a day or two rebuilding everything. So just be careful. I, I do think that some of this advice is, is good though, and some of it will work, but you've got to be a fairly advanced user and you've got to know that there, there comes risks with any time you start, you know, playing with terminal commands to adjust storage solutions. Um, we also got some feedback on the uh, Squarespace and WordPress stuff we talked about in the website show. Um, some of the feedback was saying, hey, we didn't give WordPress a fair shot or we were too biased towards Squarespace. And, you know, I kind of knew that was a risk. Um, as we've talked about in the past, we spend actually months sometimes developing these shows. And the website show was one that actually had quite a bit of development time involved with it because we had a lot of listeners asking for the show and we had everything ready to go. And at the last minute, the network comes in and says, Hey, by the way, Squarespace is sponsoring you now. So we had to decide, do we just not do the show or do we just do the show like we were going to and just be honest? We were, we told you during the show that we, the Squarespace was a sponsor, but some people felt we still weren't strong enough, um, with respect to WordPress. And I, I feel like we should address that. I mean, we had John in uh, because that's his, he makes his living on WordPress. So I thought he did a pretty good job and I went back and listened to it. I think that we were pretty fair. I mean, uh, to be honest, I, I've been using Squarespace. I looked it up since November of 2009. I've always paid for my account. I'm not, you know, a stooge for these guys. I just happen to like the stuff they do, but um, I'm going to go and put in the show notes here some additional WordPress resources. So if you feel like we didn't hit it right, go check those out. And maybe they'll set you right. 
Yeah. And, and again, you really hit it, David. That was one of the reasons specifically that we had John on the show is, is to try to balance that because you've been using Squarespace for a long time for your blog. I recently shifted mine over from WordPress to Squarespace and I was happy with WordPress for a long time. And I had this, this bad experience with WordPress, which a lot of people have written me to point out really wasn't so much a bad WordPress experience as it was a bad hosting experience. And maybe that's true, you know, but what it pointed out to me, and perhaps I didn't make that point as clear on the show as I should have, is that I didn't understand enough, nor did I have the time to learn how WordPress worked enough to make me comfortable with it, that if I got myself into trouble again somehow, that I would know how to take care of it. And that's ultimately why I made the decision to move my personal blog over to Squarespace. Now, Squarespace is a sandbox. Um, and, and playing in sandboxes, you're you're nice and safe, and but you can also run up against the sandbox walls pretty quickly because there are things that you can and can't do in the sandbox. So there are pros and cons, and there are things that you need to be aware of. You know, you and I were just having a conversation today about whether or not we move the Mac Power Users website off of WordPress into Squarespace because there are certain features and conveniences that may not be available. And so that's that's something that we're talking about. That's something that we're thinking about. And, um, you know, I just want the Mac Power Users community to feel like we are always open and transparent and and um, I'm sorry that some people feel like we, we did them a disservice and, and we really try to, to be as open and honest as we can be. Yeah. And frankly, I think a lot of people really like that show because they wanted to figure out what they were going to do with their own personal web space. So anyway, I, I get it. And uh, hopefully we've set that straight. Let's move on. All right. Well, I think that's probably going to wrap it up for this show. We've got a workflow show coming up next, right? Yeah, we do. It's going to be a good one, too. Good. Um, so we will see you all next time. But until then, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website over at MacPowerUsers.com. Um, you can also send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Or we're both on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, or David is at MacSparky, and David and I are both are on app.net as well. I'm not very active over there, but I always go at least once a day and check my messages, so it's a good place to find me. Yeah, I think that, that may be a show some point, at, you know, which social media and why. Because it's, it's tough trying to figure out, you know, what you're going to put where. You don't want to make people mad and go post the same thing twice. It's, uh, oh, it's cross-posting a- is bad. I guess, but sometimes you have different people that listen to you in different places. So I I don't know. I guess we'll have to figure that out. Oh, and hey, don't forget, we are going to be at Macworld. We're going to be doing a lot of cool things at Macworld. You've got your session on iBooks Author, right? Yeah, that's Friday at 5 o'clock. And please come if you have any interest in it, because I'm going to be really sad if it's Friday night and nobody shows up. I will be there. So it's somebody feel like high school there. again, you know? Yeah, somebody, somebody will be in the audience. And then we are doing this really cool panel on the Macworld main stage um, that Dan Miller is putting together. And, and it's all about productivity workflows. That's a really cool idea. Yeah. And who would have thought we'd be on that one? <laughs> on a product. I think uh, you and I are going to be on that along with uh, Brett Terpstra. And then um, Jeff, who was on our um, – Jeff uh, T- Takeman. I think. Yeah, yeah, he was on our 100th episode. He was on our 100th episode. He's a pretty smart guy. So he is going to be on that panel with us. And I believe that is noon on Friday, correct? Correct. It's, and it's on the second floor at the Mac, the big Macworld booth, the Macworld magazine booth. And then at one o'clock, we're going to be on the show floor doing a live podcast on Friday. So Friday's a busy day. Yeah, we're going to be busy that day. And if you're there, please come by and say hello. 
Um, also, I'm going to be over uh, dealing uh, at the Omni thing on Thursday afternoon and on sa- Saturday at three o'clock. You and I are going to be over at the um, at the well, Smile booth. Well, uh, for Meet the Podcaster. Yeah, and also Saturday at two o'clock, I'm going to be doing a thing on self publishing with. I think it's Adam Engst and Marco Arment and uh, Serenity Caldwell at the Macworld Magazine booth. So there's going to be lots of opportunities. If you're there, you know, please come by and say hello. It's the only chance I get to meet listeners, and I absolutely love it. In fact, I just love Macworld. I'm, as we record this, I'm a week away from heading up there, and I cannot wait. Yeah, it's it's a great time, and, and I can't wait to just get up there and, and decompress. So please stop by and see us, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. 